Hi, welcome to Movie Fail Podcast. I'm Nathan Frontiero. I'm here with Soren Howe, and this is a dueling review of Interstellar. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're coming uh, to this film with fairly different perspectives on uh, the director Christopher Nolan. Uh, so I mm-hmm. guess what I would want to start off with uh, as a question to you, Soren, is um, just. Let me get your just your general consensus on the film because I know you've been fairly critical of Nolan. Yeah, yeah, I have. I uh, <laughs> um, so I went into this with a dose of skepticism, as you might imagine. I uh, I wrote an article for the Daily Collegian uh, last year, last fall, about a year ago at this point, actually, and I was talking about how I wasn't a big fan of Inception. I don't find it terribly compelling as a film, but I also my biggest problem with it is that it doesn't. Um, it's not imaginative. I don't feel like, you know, past, we see like some cool visual things in the beginning, but mostly it's not that imaginative, imaginative as a film, which is weird for a film about dreams. Right. Right. Um, and so I wrote this article saying, you know, I would like Nolan to sort of extricate himself from the Batman mindset where he's working with a company, um, you know, where, where he's working with a franchise that needs to be, you know, needs to adhere to certain, Tenets and things, and not that Inception was part of that, but I feel like he was in that mindset. Um, he did produce The Prestige in that time, and I, I enjoyed that film, but um, but it just felt like he was getting farther and farther away from what he had done previously, like Memento and, and that sort of work. And so he did, um, and I and I will admit, also, I, I contrary to many people, uh, I'm like one of those people who liked uh, The Dark Knight Rises quite a bit, um, but it still wasn't. It wasn't the most imaginative thing I'd ever seen, and, and Nolan, I know, was capable of more interesting stuff. Even as far back as you know that short film, I uh, I think I sent it to you a while ago, Doodlebug. Yeah, you know, he had yeah he just had his own ideas about like how he sees the world and things. And now with Interstellar, there's no franchise with this. There's nothing related to it. It's just him exploring an idea he wants to explore. And I, to me, I I was really I was taken aback. I thought it was really quality. Yeah, I have to agree. I really, I found that just with, I didn't go into the film expecting to enjoy it. I kind of, I, I went in half expecting to hate it or to come away with some ambivalence <laughs> uh, similar to uh, that which I felt after rethinking Inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I saw Inception in theaters, I did... Um, I did like it, and then years, a, a couple of years later, I did too. Yeah, I did too. I, I find it like a really like a shut your brain off kind of movie. It's just all the marketing was like, it's so you know you gotta you gotta think about it. It's like a mind bender, and so that was if they hadn't marketed it like that, or if it hadn't been billed that way to by so many people who had seen it, I might have been a little bit more forgiving. But uh, it just for me, it was like they they, they begged intellectual like. Uh, analysis and once you do that the film stops being all that interesting so um so like i i remember i the review isn't public anymore it's a very old review from my early days but it was yeah i gave it a solid i was like it's a solid action film it's not you know it's not the the second coming of science fiction but um but i you know i joined it for what it was so yeah at the time i really did i just want to point that out i didn't uh i didn't hate it at the time but over time it's just it's grown in reputation to this thing that i don't think it ever was Definitely, yeah. I think it's, uh, we actually uh, threw a couple pod shots, or at least one that I couldn't resist when we uh, discussed uh, The Dark Knight on this, its sixth anniversary uh, this mm-hmm. past July, uh, just because I think that uh, 
kind of closing up this loop that Inception is not as complicated a film as it wants to be or as it likes to think of itself as. Mm-hmm. And definitely it's not as complicated a film as the marketing campaign makes it out to be or wants it to right. be. It's kind of a pop puzzle film. And and there's still that not that much of a puzzle. And like you have written about and expressed previously, it's really not dreamlike. It's very it's a very logically plotted film. Mm. And it moves with this sort of surgical deliverance uh, mm-hmm. that I'm you know doesn't feel uh, apt for a dream about um, for, for a dream for a film about dreams. Right, um, right, right. But with Interstellar, I. I <laughs> I never would have guessed that Christopher Nolan would bring me to tears, and he did at, mm. at a couple times, and I was sh- simultaneously shocked at myself for uh, for reacting that way, but at the same time, really just involved at, in this, at least for Nolan's films, in a strangely a strangely personal way. I just I felt far more connected to Nolan's characters this time around. I just I felt like I was watching characters for the first time, uh, as opposed to kind of vehicles for uh, the continuation of a plot or political, you know, things. Right, like the I my one of my general points I think about the film is that Nolan has freed himself from the shackles of. The political undertones uh, that kind of weighed down the Dark Knight trilogy. I think that those are compelling at times and a little too overwrought at others. Uh, You know, the the films aren't really as fun as they can be. Mm. Um, I think with Interstellar, Nolan is having fun. He's, uh, but he's also, uh, I just felt this very childlike wonder watching the film. I just was able to get lost in it. Lost. Yeah, in, for sure. Yeah. Lost in a movie in a way that I hadn't been able to in years that sense that you get when you're, it's that elusive idea of going to a movie, that kind of ideal that you have where you're, you'll realize for a second, you'll step out of it and realize that you're watching something and you're seeing something that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I finally felt that after a long time and I wouldn't have expected to, uh, with this, with a Nolan film, but I'm really, I'm really happy that I did. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was funny as you were saying that I was thinking about Gravity, and I wrote a, a review of Gravity a while back. And uh, one of the things that bothered me about that film was that it was so, it had so much going for it uh, in terms of it's, you know, you were in space. You really felt like you were in space. The 3D was really good. The CGI was amazing. Everything was really well done. Um, but because there were so many. Um, little little things little motifs and little ideas that were so clearly uh you know that the that weighed on the film in a weird way uh that kept you know Quaron from I think doing space the way Nolan did here uh and I like both films I think they both have a lot going for them in different ways uh Gravity I think is tighter than in uh Interstellar but I think they but I think that here that the the contrast which that's interesting is that Nolan isn't shackled by anything, any of that. As you said, it was not really shackled by any of those those other things. There's no, I don't think there's any deep message here. And and you know, I've I've read a bunch of um, you know quips and things from critics about 
Interstellar saying it confuses all these ideas, it's got too much going on. And what's funny is I, I think the film's actually pretty simple. It's not actually very complicated at all. At most, it's, you know, talking about humanity and, and humanity's, uh, you know, the nature of humans. But, like, nothing more than, like, Lord of the Flies or anything like that. And um, uh, and, and beyond that, it's a science fiction film, a very, you know... It, it, works, it works on the basic premise of science fiction. And to me, that's what's cool. So it's funny because Gravity is, like... Uh, it's science fiction in that it's a fiction story that takes place in space, so it uses science, but it's really not science fiction-y. Really. I don't think. It's it doesn't do anything, there's nothing special, there's nothing future about it. So to call it science fiction is kind of um kind of interesting choice, but a lot of people have thrown it in that, that category. But Interstellar works with modern science, modern physics, you know, uh, ideas like we know black holes are a thing. Um, we know that uh, relativity is a thing, and then takes those ideas and then goes beyond them. Says, uh, you know, okay, well, if that's true and that's true, then is this possible? And what I like in good science fiction is, you know, as a scientist, I I find I don't mind science fiction that uh, that that will make. A th- for example, Doctor Who does this, I think, in a good way. You know, they'll whenever there's something that they can't explain, they'll just make up a word that no one's ever heard of, and they'll. They'll just, they often do this. Sometimes they, they do do what I was going to say um, that, uh, that isn't good, but sometimes they'll just make something up and it's like, well, that doesn't exist, so sure, why not? Um, I believe, you know, I believe that that could happen if, you know, in this fantasy world where those things are possible. So, um, you know, they'll call it, uh, you know, like when they have the essence of the TARDIS. Okay, what, this is not a thing that exists, so you could make that do whatever you want. My, my frustration with sci-fi is when in, you know, let's say, I don't remember if this was in Planet of the Apes, but let's say Planet of the Apes, James Franco said a lot of dumb things about science in that movie. <laughs> and um, and so, like, if you say something like, uh, you better, for example, you better use antibacterial soap because there's a virus going around. And if they said that in a movie and it was dead serious from a real doctor or a real PhD or something in the movie, like, was supposed to be saying this, that would annoy me because we know for a fact that antibacterial soap has no effect on viruses or not bacteria you know they're viruses they're not it doesn't work like that and so or antibiotics so um and so like basically if it's not contradicting something we know not to be true uh then it's then it's fine and i'm not a physicist so for all i know there was stuff in this movie that didn't make any sense but you know we know black holes are th- and so then when when we get things like wormholes which as far as we know don't exist you can do whatever you want with that you can literally do anything because they don't exist in the real world which makes them fair game for like fiction and so i think this movie really is like a, a an excellent example of uh, an excellent example of what good science fiction you know might look like. Uh, we're we're all science fiction directors to you know take the same tack, which I I think I don't know. I just I like I like sort of the marriage of what we know and what we don't you know and in this film and and I f- I think film is a good medium to explore you know once we landed on the moon, people started making movies about little you know space aliens because they were like, well, we could land on the moon. What if we landed on Mars? What if there's aliens there? At the time, we had no idea, so why not? That was a legitimate thing to do. Now, if they made movie about, and they have movies about, you know, the dark side of the moon and all these crazy like Transformers and, uh, you know, not space Nazis and, and all these other things, it's hard to stomach because we know what the moon looks like. We know there's not aliens on the moon, so why would we? It seems crazy to do that. Now, in Nolan's film, we have a galaxy uh, that's like light years away, so anything could be there. So that you know gives them a playground within the bounds of what we know of science. So I I, I enjoyed it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, it's a lot of a lot of good points that I want to kind of address uh, in that. Um, I think an important thing that you note is that Nolan isn't really he's not hindered by a message here, and you and critics uh, as other critics on this film that have talked about like a messy hodgepodge of ideas are. Uh, I would also agree that that is a misguided criticism for the film because as as I've uh, reviewed, uh, I don't think that Interstellar is a message movie. I, mm. I think that there, sure, we get the opener, the entire first act is a very clear depiction of a ravaged earth that humanity has begotten because of, mm-hmm. because of its, uh, the way that it, it treated the earth. And that's, that's very clear. That's, that, that's fine. You know, climate change, global warming, we destroyed the world. We, uh, drained its resources because as, uh, and this is part of my, probably one of my only criticisms for the film, some heavy handed, uh, speeches remind us like John Lithgow and a, a few other characters, maybe Michael Caine's character. Some of these older, uh, figures in the film talk about the, previous generations that all wanted too much. And it's mm. the only time in the film that I think, you know, we're not even, I wouldn't even call it getting hit over the head with an idea. It's, it's because it's really the only time that interstellar is presenting something as an idea, as a message like that mm. it's making some point about something and in that kind of uh, directed way. Well, that's funny because I didn't think that that was to me that I actually I I wrote down in my notes when I was watching the film. I thought the exposition in the beginning was great uh, and it still left us left us wondering things. It didn't give us a whole lot of information. And I didn't think that the um, and I didn't think there was a clear like, you know, indictment You know, because there's no like, I don't know. I, I can see what you're saying. But I for me, the only uh, the only point that really stuck out to me in like that preachy sort of way was this that ridiculous speech that Anne Hathaway gives about going to the other planet Um which I think they, they you know, Nolan knew that. Uh, so he, she gives that whole long speech when they're on, you know, they're like, well, she's like, well, I want to go to this other planet, even though it doesn't seem like a better option. And he's like, it's because, you know, this guy that you loved is on that planet. That's that's why you want to go there. And she's like, okay, so maybe it is. And then she gives this long right. speech. The conclusion is that Matthew McConaughey says, um, you know, like, no, we're not. <laughs> so we're going to, to man's planet. He doesn't even like acknowledge that she just gave this long speech and she gets all pissed off. But to me, that was like the one scene where, you know, and they sort of emphasize the love aspect and some people have picked up on that. Yeah, but for me, it's uh, where we get the line. Love is the only thing that can transcend time and space. Yeah. Which is silly because I don't think that's, so I think that people have taken that literally. And I, to me in the film, they're talking about gravity and it's just, okay. So he's using, he loves her. So he's using gravity to, you know what I mean? So, like I saw this with uh, a couple of people, and they thought the um, they thought that it was talking about love as like this real, you know, this real definable thing. And he does talk about it, but to me, it was just that was Matthew McConaughey's character. That's Cooper uh, person or personifying or putting a label on you know this thing he doesn't understand. He's calling it love, but you know it's whatever. Uh, it's a gravity at, at most, um, uh, and so. So in other words, I'm, I'm distinguishing between what the characters think, which is that it's love that somehow transcends time and space, and what is actually happening in the film, which is just that gravity or, or this, this weird tesseract thing or whatever that allows them to transcend time and space, and that it's not actually love per se. Like, that's 
to me that's silly and if that's really was the intention I, I that bothers me but I don't I didn't get that impression from the movie to me everything that happens happens absolutely like love it plays no role in that movie at all it, it doesn't play any role in the plot it just plays a role in like other than he loves his daughter and that's why you know he's you know in this emotional turmoil as he leaves uh, and and um and Hathaway's character loves her father, but but like beyond that, the reason that he survives after going through the black hole, etc. To me, that's not love that saves him. It's the tesseract built by his future, you know, the future civilization of humanity. That's all it is. There's no. So yeah, so I didn't I didn't feel so bad about that, but I I thought that was the one part that one speech she gives. But then you know again, it's it's undercut. So for me, there wasn't really any overt preachiness in the film, and and we are running out of food. We are running out of resources. It's a real. It's not like. There's nothing really to to pin on him. You know, he's he's just like, you know, we're running. If any of our crops die, if there's a dust bowl again, or if any sort of thing happens, we're screwed. We have no plan. Uh, so, you know, like, <laughs> it's not like such a stretch of the imagination to imagine like a blight affecting crops and then, uh, you know, humans being without food as a result. No, absolutely. I uh, completely agree with that. And I think perhaps I might have misspoke because I don't consider... Uh, anything in the film um, uh, to be making an indictment of uh, humanity or certain choices. And I do uh, think that the near future that Nolan depicts is uh, perfectly believable. And mm. I really, I really also enjoyed how he uses sort of um, st- stripped back exposition to establish the setting temporally and uh, kind of physically, uh, spatially. Mm. I, you know, we're not, we're never given some uh, title card or or intertitle over the screen that tells us, you know, Earth, uh, you know, twenty one fifty five or something. Yeah, exactly. Where there's no time set time, it's sort of generic. Yeah, right. We're just we're given an informed setting, and there are certain kind of bent aspects that lead us to speculate about when maybe this could be taking place. And, but it's de-emphasized. It's, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter when this is happening. Mm-hmm. It just matters for the sake of the film that it is happening and that uh, Cooper does have this central mission. And I think as far as love playing into the plot, I would agree that uh, it's, um, that speech is ridiculous, but I also, uh, I didn't object to it because it is undercut in the scene. As you say, I felt the mm-hmm. same about that. But I think that what is especially compelling about the film, uh, just as a storyteller is that, uh, no one gives his main character. And it just a, like a completely clear motivation. It's, and it's a very simple one. It, so underneath, uh, at the, the foundation of, this ostensibly uh, complicated, you know, large-scale sci-fi epic is just a father just dying to see his daughter again, willing to cross the universe again just to get back to her. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really an affecting arc, and uh, and really it it resonates uh, in a heartbreaking uh, fashion. Uh, towards, I want to say the middle of the film, 
Uh, yeah, I was gonna say when he's watching the videos yeah, after. Yep, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, that was the part that got me. That too. that scene uh, was <laughs> was that's the one that got me. I just I watched him just and I was I felt I I felt this sense of mortality mm. that like this this crushing feeling of lost time. Yeah, that, that I along with Cooper had missed out on some chunk of life. Yeah, that, of that can never be replaced. Of life, yeah, yeah, and that just that immense void that was created there, mm. just it it just broke my heart, and I just burst into tears and just, just silently sobbing to myself in in front of a massive uh, screen uh, with strangers <laughs> uh, on a Thursday night. But <laughs> but it it just yeah that that spoke to me just and the whole film spoke to me on just a far clearer and cleaner human level. Yeah. Okay. So I agree though. I think I, that was the same part for me. Uh, I, I agree with that, but I wasn't, I don't think this is a, I'm not saying this is a problem, but I, I find it interesting that you felt like the film was human in that way, because I think it, it was in that, and Cooper's the protagonist. And so this is, you know, it's important that he's, you know, relatable and believable and you, you care about him, but I didn't care nearly as much about the rest of the characters. And I think that was the problem is I didn't care about, um, Jessica Chastain's character all that much, you know, as an adult Murphy, I didn't really care about Michael Caine's character all that much. Uh, I certainly didn't care about most of the crew and Hathaway, <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, no, I didn't care about any Hathaway. <laughs> well, exactly. And so like, but that she's like the other main character in the film aside from Je- Jessica Chastain. Right, so right. it, it's kind of says something when there's like one character was like, yeah, that got me, but you know, you know, they all had their respective scenes and it wasn't for lack of acting ability, but just, it wasn't, it didn't get me. Um, so there was, yeah. I mean, but again, I think that the, the, what's interesting about the film to me is like, I wanted to see, like, I didn't care about the interpersonal drama all that much. You know, there's that, that scene. And I mentioned the quote, the rec quote in my review where, uh, Jessica Chastain is talking to Michael Caine about, um, you know, about this equation that he's been working on supposedly for all these years. Mm -hmm. And she realizes that he's been, you know, or that they've been, you know, messing up for a while. And then it turns out that he was intentionally doing that so that because he had given up on humanity or whatever. Um, And she, when she realizes this, she says, uh, he's like, well, what are you saying? And she says, uh, you know, I'm saying that you've been trying to finish it with one arm. No, both arms tied behind your back and the way she delivers that line and the way it's written are just so stupid. Not to mention the fact uh, an entire facility filled with scientists, the best and brightest of whoever's left on Earth, uh, didn't see that he was just doing a circular, like, cyclical equation that doesn't do anything for, for like, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I mean, it's nuts. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. So, like, this whole... So when it when it fo- tried to focus on stuff like that, I was less compelled than when I was like, "Ooh, what's behind a black hole?" To me, that's far more interesting than whatever was going on with, you know, future NASA. Um, I mean, and, and I get that they had to keep that plot going so that when they had the moment with the bookcase, they could connect it, and that was kind of I was very clever, and I and I actually loved that whole that whole sequence, but the interpersonal stuff didn't do it for me. That's interesting because I I actually. Um... Uh, my impression just i haven't i've only seen the film once i would like to see it again but just going from that uh initial reaction when i was watching it i did think that there was uh, an interpersonal element that i 
found compelling. I think that the, um, I like that there was, uh, like that the film takes the struggle of the entire human race and narrows it down to a few individuals against each other that kind of Michael Caine's like the professor brand, uh, his character, um, in his arrogance, yes, but still that he is the power to kind of jeopardize at least the earthbound future of humanity. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that that was, I thought that that was, a, uh, maybe looking at it again. It, I mean, the idea wasn't bad. Like I like the idea that he did that. That's fine. But the way that he did it was through this equation that everyone's been working on for all this time, including Jessica Chastain, who's supposed to be, you know, Murphy's supposed to be smart, like very smart, you know, and uh, and always challenging her authority and always, you know, that was her as a kid. That's what she was. Uh, And then, you know, it takes her 20 years to figure out that he's been, you know, making stuff up. And I'm like, eh. how long did it take you to work on that to realize that you're doing a what is it called? a recursive? It's a recursive equation. I figure anyone who's like able to do math might figure that out pretty quickly, and they, it's on iteration four or something. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was odd. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's like the way it happened; it wasn't what happened, which is, and that's a lot of this movie is is that I like what happened. Sometimes the way it happened didn't always get me, but the way, but what happened was always intriguing to me. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think um, after after um, hearing that clarified, I, I agree that it's it's a little bit odd um, and kind of a, a breaking of uh, suspension of belief for, yeah, uh, yeah, for that, for that particular element. But I was already taken by that point. So I didn't care. And that was right, part of it right. is that I was just, there's a lot of things like, for example, in this movie, you know, they go to the second planet, two planets out of the three planets they go to visit are on the rim of this black hole. And they're like, well, we can't, you know, if we go to the planet, relativity is going to make it so that, you know, there's this time dilation problem. And I'm like, okay, but then they go to the second planet, which is also on the rim of the black hole, and there's no relativity problem at all. It doesn't affect anything. And I found that funny because even if it didn't affect it as much, depending on how far away it is from the black hole, it still would have some impact on relative. I mean, there's there's always going to be that um, effect. So they just ignore it for the second. Like, it's really important on the first planet, completely irrelevant on the second planet. And... Uh, and as I was watching, I was like, oh, they're going to bring it up again. It's going to be, like, relevant. And they just never do. And then they leave the planet. And there's no, like, it, it, it all happened in real time. Yeah, I think and so. That, <laughs> I, I was like, she's going to be dead by the time this movie's over. Jessica Chastain will just be dead. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> but that didn't happen. I didn't notice that uh, that logical break until you pointed it out uh, <laughs> with the second planet. I, I found the uh, the first one to be really harrowing. When they, oh yeah, when they, that was great. And, and it also, I, I've read uh, other uh, outside articles reflecting on this. And one thing I forget where I saw it. Uh, there's uh, some writer noted that uh, I, the astronaut left on the Endurance when they're on the first planet. I forget his name, um, but he's been waiting there for 23 years. And just this, uh, this writer noted that his story is the most tragic of anybody really in that movie. Just sitting alone in space, his, his hair, you know, slowly going gray. Mm. Oh yeah. 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 Cause he just, the one who waits on the ship. Yeah. 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 He's uh that's horrible. And he's like traumatized when they, 
come back, he's like, I didn't think you were coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's awful. And, you know, the, the other thing I wanted to mention about relativity in this is that uh, I think my absolute favorite form of time travel in movies is, or in narrative, is, is relativity because it's a thing that exists. We know for a fact this is, like, how it works, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so I, it's, so it's, it's so tangible, and yet we haven't seen it. We come back, like, in 100 years and be, like, 150, you know, in our time and having seen – you know, that's never happened, but – we imagine it, it that's that's how it would work and so uh that's really cool uh, and freaky and like how is that po- how can you slow you're basically slowing down time for one party and not the other um so that's really cool but i my favorite book my favorite science fiction book that i've uh, that i've ever read is uh, the forever war which is by by uh by joe haldeman uh he writes this it's an amazing book it's 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 funny it's fast paced and the whole premise, it's about the Vietnam War. It's a, it's a direct allegory. Uh, and it's, but it's about a, it's about relativity. It's about love across time and space. Uh, and it has this basic premise of, um, they encounter aliens, uh, and then, but the aliens are very, very far away. And so to get there, they have to use these, like, they have to, like, slingshot and do these crazy things to get to where the aliens are who have attacked human outposts. But every time they come back to Earth, even though it's only been like one battle or two battles, uh, years have passed on Earth. And every time they go farther out, the more and more time has passed. And so Earth changes radically. Things change radically. There's just crazy stuff. And every time they're going back and forth. Now, of course, this is an analog for the um, for the, the Vietnam War. But it's the same idea like where you have the, that moment of coming back and seeing your kids growing up die their kids, their grandkids, and you're not there for any of this because you, you're, you know, a conscripted soldier and you have to keep fighting this war and it's just miserable. Um, and I'm actually sad that I, I like Interstellar a lot. I think it's really, it's an enjoyable film, but I, Ridley Scott has optioned The Forever War and I was really looking forward to Ridley Scott's The Forever War to see this done for the first time really on the big screen. Uh, and it, it looks like uh, Christopher Nolan read that book maybe, <laughs> uh, but certainly beat him to the punch on this particular uh uh, narrative device so that's too bad but I, I think it, it works really well here um, and uh, you know they they really capture the emotion of missing out on you know it's the cat um, was it the the cats in the cradle song you know that idea of missing out on your child you know your child's life because you're so focused on work it's that but extreme you know um, literally missing out on their entire childhood and growing up yeah I think that's I think that's what gives uh, interstellar it's larger emotional heft is just the the tragedy of, of losing time yeah and because time is above all else it, well time is really the only independent variable and and it it continues regardless of uh, you know it, it continues in spite of all our, our trivial human pursuits. And I think that Nolan just, he uses that, that concept as a really exceptional storytelling device, just mm-hmm. building something around that. I just find really interesting. There's, and, um, on, and on, also on a production level, I think the way that, um, the way that no one integrates Hans Zimmer's score into the film or, or even to, to phrase it differently, just the way that the score and the film work together, I think serves to emphasize 
just this just disarming feeling of being lost I, when i listen mm. to uh the score it's it's since been uh released on uh streaming services and um so i've been listening to it on spotify and just so many of the pieces give you this i think particularly the this that sort of a couple note main motif that comes up a couple different times in right, piano yeah. and organ uh pieces it gives you this feeling that that you're far away that you're just, just drifting out maybe on some vast ocean and for the sake of the film and uh, the vast uh, black ocean of space, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I just, I found that to be uh, just, it, it makes me very wary. I think maybe connecting to it on a personal note, I always have had this sort of general fear of like floating into nothingness. Like when you, Turn your... I think a lot of people have. I mean, that's that's what's scary about space because like there's nothing holding you there, so you could just float out permanently. Yeah, and just the like that the tropish image of um, you know when you're a kid and you uh, turn your head upside down at the beach and you look up at the sky and it seems like you could fall into it mm-hmm. and f- keep falling forever on a you know a clear day. And I think that this does. That the, the interstellar captures that feeling. I think it makes you feel small, and I think that that's maybe one of its biggest strengths, at least for me, anyway. So, um, speaking of the music, though, did you see it in IMAX? I, I saw it in uh, Cinemark's uh, version, which is X. Oh, XD. Yeah. Uh, um, the reason I ask is that apparently the sound. I saw it in IMAX. You know, I didn't see it. It wasn't like whatever seventy millimeter, but it was. Uh, it was technically IMAX, and uh, I had heard things about the sound mix. Uh, I don't know. Did you hear about this controversy? Yeah, I heard that just the... Uh, well, it's the same thing when people complained about uh, not being able to hear a bait into the dark night. <laughs> but uh, just that uh, that Nolan's mix is off and, and the levels are, are ruined. And there were also notices posted outside theaters and internet commenters yeah but did you wrote, see nolan's response yeah he said that i he had he was like that was intentional yeah <laughs> and he said the same thing about the dark knight rises with bane being intentional yeah. but i think with that especially people were overreacting because if you just sit down and watch that movie you can hear him fine and he's actually louder than everyone else uh, well but, well they redubbed it they remixed it. okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> because if you you can go online and find them the comparison of the original bane to the remixed bane from the IMAX preview to the you know final cut, uh, and and they did change his voice or redub it. Um, they they made it higher and it sounds more you know whatever cartoony or strange uh, in the in the remix. Yeah. But they did they did remix it. But it doesn't look like they're doing that for this. But I will say, I didn't miss any dialogue in this. Uh, I didn't see it in real IMAX, like I said. So maybe that that'll skew it. But uh, I didn't miss any dialogue. The only things I missed were like things like maybe somebody saying words during a launch. Where you know the it's not dialogue, it's like you know three two one lift off kind of just non information, yeah, and you can basically get what they're saying i only so. I only missed one line in the film, and it's when and this is actually an example that uh I read about specifically uh in an article that addressed uh uh audience concerns about the sound mix and Nolan's response um and it, the moment of the film is when. Uh, Professor Brand dies, and he he looks up at um, at Murph, at adult at Jessica Chastain Murph, and he he says three words, 
And, and it's like the start of... It's Don't Go Gently. Don't Go Gently? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, when I heard it, I was pretty sure that's what he was saying. He was just, he like, he was saying things and she was like, well, what about, you know, what's going... And then he just like cuts off and goes into his usual Don't Go Gently <laughs> poem again. Oh, man, that's... Did you like that? I, I, well... That, like, I mean, not that moment, but in general, that... In general, I really liked, I did, I liked the poem, And but here's the thing, when you, just hearing that now, that those are his final three words, I find that, uh, I find that kind of tragically hilarious, and in it, probably a very schadenfreude style, uh, just because it, that he has been lying to everybody concerned about this mission to save the human race, and his mantra to dupe everybody is, you know, the, the, don't go, do not go gently into that good night. Mm. And, mm-hmm. uh, and just, just hearing that those are his last words makes me think that this is a, a cycle that would just perpetuate, at least for his character. Mm. If, if he wasn't on his deathbed, he would finish that poem and work, uh, fruitlessly on that equation for another 20 years Break, if he could, yeah, breaking yeah. Breaking more sure. logic uh, with, uh, without finding recursion. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, as <laughs> I won't call myself a computer scientist uh, because that's pr- far privileging my uh, abilities in that area uh, beyond what they deserve to be. But as someone, as a, as a student at least of uh, in computer science uh, for the past uh, year and a half, I uh, I would say sometimes it's hard to find uh, it's hard to figure out your base case, but it's it's definitely the f- first thing that you do. It, mm-hmm. You need to anchor yourself in a way to to cut out of something, and so I think that that is uh, one of the more absurd logical leaps in it. But again, <laughs> a lot of the um, the science in this. I think is theoretical, but they did work uh, with the theoretical physicist uh, uh, named uh, Kip Thorne, uh, who wrote a book called uh, "The Science of Interstellar," I believe, mm. that was uh, released concurrently, kind of as a tie-in uh, material. Promotion, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, the, um, but the, but this but this issue isn't something that has to do with science. It's not the correction of. It's not like. Whether or not science is, it's just the, it's simply, it's, this is the domain, this should be the domain of Nolan and, you know, the Nolan brothers and on figuring this out because, uh, conceivably they should be able to, you know, if we have a bunch of scientists in a room, do you think they would figure out if an equation was recursive? Because apparently we're going to have them there for 25 years, not ever figuring this out until like Jessica Chastain decides one day that that's the case. Uh, that's their domain. That's not a theoretical physicist consultant's domain. Right, right. I don't know that he was offering story points. He was just like, no, that's not how relativity works. That's probably what he was saying. I think, or one thing, yeah, I believe I read that uh, um, they also, they used him, uh, that he acted as an executive producer and a physicist, uh, or as a physics consultant, but, uh, but in, in some regard to, in addition to relativity, uh, to, um, to the visuals in the film, to uh, trying to portray what well, it does have to do with relatively, but relativity, but uh, a visual uh, realization of relativity, how they portray the 
warping of space and the mm, movement of sure. light around uh, large gravitational fields that would warp light. I think trying to portray that accurately. Uh, right, yeah, and, and it's... I mean, a lot of... And also the other thing about this that they've made a lot of, I don't know how much this really mattered, but they wanted to use real space photography, real, you know, uh, images of Earth and of the moon and Saturn and things like that so they could keep it as grounded as possible. They didn't want to, like, render it out of CG, which is fine. I don't I don't know how relevant that really was in the movie, but they were very um, adamant that... Uh, or Christopher Nolan was very adamant that they used like real images of Earth um, instead of like gravity, for example, which used a completely fake, you know, image because they had. Again, when you're showing something through a window, it's a little more doable than, you know, gravity, where they're literally above Earth's surface for most of the film or the entire film, really. So, so it's a little more doable there. But he was just so adamant about that. So, uh, so I, it doesn't surprise me that he hired a science consultant to to check on all these things. And then when he got to things that he that no one knows what it looks like. There's nothing to really do there. Uh, he got to, like, for example, how do you draw a tesseract and the fabric of space-time, which he literally draws as, like, threads, uh, which is I thought was cool, uh, that he's, you know, trying to beat against and uh, everything after he goes into the black hole, or even just entering the black hole, or a wormhole. Because uh, in the wormhole scene, we get this cool, like, light show uh, that looks a lot like uh, the, the 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Or... Uh, or, or when he goes into the, I, you get a similar sort of look when he goes into the, um, to the black hole. He goes under it or whatever he's doing there, and uh, you get the sparks flying over the ship, the shuttle, and uh, it just it's it's all very reminiscent of two thousand one, like I said. But in those instances, he got to be do whatever he wanted because there was no basis for it. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if we one day would learn through uh, released studio files that Christopher Nolan was so uh, adamant about realism that um, the production of Interstellar is actually just as sealed a time loop as the story in Interstellar and that Christopher Nolan ventured off with a production crew into the deep spaces through a wormhole, (laughs) collected the data with his theoretical physicist and then returned with uh, an accurate series of footage and, then was and that, to, in fact, uh, Christopher Nolan was born in uh, 1806, and uh, there was just this time dilation, so he's only just getting onto the into Hollywood at this point. Yeah, no, I, I can right. see Right, that's why he doesn't like a, <laughs> he doesn't want a cell phone because he doesn't he secretly doesn't know what they are, and so the studio just tells him <laughs> to say that he doesn't want one so that people don't get confused. Uh, you know, just because time and time again to explain that to him has failed. Uh, yeah, so I think that that. <laughs> That's really the best. That's the secret of Interstellar. There you go. You, you heard it here. That first Cooper is Nolan, and Nolan is Cooper. Yeah, Nolan. Nolan go. is Cooper. <laughs> Nolan is is just as much Cooper as he is Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly. Well, this is an autobiographical film, is really what we're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Versus uh, uh, Inception is just wish fulfillment. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, <laughs> the other thing I just wanted to to mention. So if there is a theme to this film, there's the Earth being used up and stuff, but most of that's not so overt, I would argue, uh, as or so clearly the message as it is humanity and what humanity is willing to do. And and I found it really interesting that they emphasize so much uh, the best of humanity in Dr. Man, the first, or like the leader of the, exp- the expedition out into space. Mm-hmm. And when they find him, it's Matt Damon, who knew he was in the movie. <laughs> um, and it turns out he's like 
awful. He's an awful person. Uh, he's <laughs> he's, he's been, gone crazy. He's been he's, warped into an awful person. Yes, but it's it's but what it says is basically, you know, if if the film is saying this is the best of humanity, it's saying two things. One is maybe who we think the best of humanity is isn't as good as like Joe Schmo, father of a daughter, you know, and a son trying to take care of his family. Right. Maybe that's what they're saying. But the other hand, it, what to me it sounds like is even the best of us put in those circumstances will evolve into, you know, murderous, crazy, you know, self, you know, survival instinct. Uh, he even talks about that survival instinct uh, sort of uh, mode of behavior, and I, I I found that compelling as an idea. Yeah, Nolan wanted to prove that even someone as good as uh, Harvey Dent uh, could fall. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's I think the it's a similar idea here, except unlike that movie, this is Harvey Dent's like a if 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 uh, Matt Damon's character, if Doctor Man is Harvey Dent in that sense. He's much more center stage than Harvey Dent was in that film. Yeah, not just um, an, an ornamental character. To right, be, right. Uh, you know, see, people go bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. But yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I would agree that uh, with the the contrast between, you know, the, the best of man, pun intended, and uh, kind of the, the everyman, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's really interesting. And just to con- uh, confirm and kind of put to rest... I, I definitely don't think that the that climate change and you know the people destroying the earth uh as we are want to do uh is uh it really the the crux of this movie i, th- I think it's nothing more than uh, a foundation for an emotional storyline it's it's really yeah, it's yeah, just setting sure. really it is and also and also space space exploration you know so like one of the things that people talked about with gravity is, you know, or one of the big criticisms is people said, well, the story is not nearly as compelling as, say, the visuals. It's more of an experience than the fully fleshed out film, which I have my own problems with. But I think there is something to say for something that is might have other things going for it, but at the very least is a visual experience. And this movie isn't the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, there are, there are plenty of very, like, visually compelling films. And I would even argue... Hoyt Van Hoytema was the uh, the cinematographer on this, and he replaced Wally Pfister. Thank goodness, because Wally Pfister, uh, not a fan of his. But um, unlike Tinker Tailor, which isn't beautiful, but is uh, it's it's visually compelling, uh, versus uh, Let the Right One In, which is sort of a stark beauty to it, or Her, which is just plain pretty. It's a pretty film. Um, Absolutely, it's actually, I think one of its yeah, it's one of its best elements. I would say uh, this. I don't think had you know when you're a cinematographer filming in space. It's hard, you know, how do you frame a planet? You know, like, it's not something you think about day to day, so it's kind of complicated. So I don't think anything about the cinematography was bad, but it could have been even more. And, you know, the other thing is, I wasn't looking for more homage to 2001, but what's so interesting about Kubrick's filmmaking style is he does things like match cuts. He does things like... And there are so many interesting moments that could have been used for that in this movie. Like, there's that moment where... And, and it's just, it, it boils down to, despite the effects that Christopher Nolan often uses... He's not a visually interesting director. He just isn't. Uh, he did this whole movie, which is in space, and it, it's. It, I'm not going to deny that it's not pretty in many places, but in terms of filmmaking techniques, he doesn't do a lot. So, for example, there's that shot of the black hole, which is really cool, and it looks just like an eyeball. And I was like, this is the moment, Christopher Nolan, where you cut to an eyeball, because it looks like an eyeball. And that could be like an homage to, you know, even just the... Uh, there's that same cut in... Uh, in Psycho with Alfred Hitchcock. And so there's there's cool ideas you could do there. And it would also reference 2001 because 2001 has the famous match cut of the bone and the space station. 
and you know as the if the eye is the window to the soul it sucks things in you know the, the black hole you could draw direct parallels there uh but none of those opportunities are taken in this movie and that's to me it was a little disappointing to see that because uh it could have there could have been a little bit more complexity to the, to the visuals sure i i i can't help but agree with that uh but one one positive thing that i would say about the production value here is that the film i think um Perhaps not on its uh, visual merits alone, but on uh, in combination with its aural uh, elements, I think Interstellar is a spectacle, and and I was really drawn into that. I think. Oh, certainly. Just, yeah, yeah. No, spect- it, it is a spectacle, definitely. And I want to just say that it's like that. My my point in saying all that is that it is a spectacle that also has other things going for it as well. And I think that they work well together. I just you know I just want to clarify that there's there's something primal about the about seeing things we can't see normally and i think that's what film is sometimes very good at um it can sometimes give us a look into say a world we don't know like uh, you know uh in wolf, wolf of wall street we got to watch you know a whole lifestyle that most of us never get to see because it's so crazy and over the top and wealthy you know that kind of lifestyle isn't you know common to, so we get to see it through through film and so i think that that's something that we get in this we get to see something that we can't possibly see on our own and we probably never will see so christopher Nolan has imagined it for us absolutely yeah and 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 i think that as as beautiful perhaps as this film is not i think that it is i mean visually as Mm. uh at times unremarkable perhaps as it is as as uh as you would find it um i think that what it does do uh, for that vicarious effect, as it, it at least for my viewing, I felt that I had, um, I felt vicariously aged by the film. When I mm. left, I had that that distinct magical feeling that happens with certain kinds of movies, where you feel that you have been locked away somewhere else for a long time, and when you come back out and realize that you're in the same theater in the same mall, going back to the same car or the same bus to go to the same house and look in the mirror and see the same face. It's, that's all jarring because it feels like none of those things should be the same anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it it gives you that feeling that you've sort of been on a trip and certainly it's almost three hours long. So that that's part of it too. Um, I did want to just mention two other things uh, that I don't know if you have any thoughts on, but what did you think of the idea of sending, if Michael Caine's big last mission is to send humans to go repopulate, you know, some other planet to send three men and one woman to a planet, that doesn't seem particularly smart. Any any mission to, like, colonize another planet would require more men, women than men, right? Yeah, that, that uh, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about that, it, it almost feels... I, I'm wondering if Nolan read uh, the Margaret Atwood novel Oryx and Crake, which mm. uh, imagines this this near future that becomes a post-apocalyptic future without saying too much about the book. Um, I don't know. Uh, but what it does is it focuses on this genius named Crake who designs uh, a new race of human beings you know, like uh, an improved race of human beings using human DNA. 
and mm -hmm. and I don't know pseudoscience that exists in fiction. Uh, but um, what they what happens in that film is these uh, these um, these new humans uh, they're dubbed Krakers. Uh, they mate in I think groups of five with one woman and, f and one one female and and four males. Uh, that's the only place that I've seen something seen like something that. Like that. And I think with with modern with, with modern humans, I think that that's kind of an absurd plan. I, even though they have all these, uh, I think cryogenically frozen embryos. They do, but they can't. They, they needed something to host right. them. Right. So, so it still would make sense to send more. Yeah, just, I, I don't know. Unless there's some kind of... And, and this I didn't see, which was why it doesn't really make sense, because I don't think that Interstellar is trying to paint Anne Hathaway's character as this like Neo-Eve. I don't think that's... Mm. I, I, unlike, unlike Gravity, which kind of... Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't think that that... It doesn't seem to belong it's it's some it's an oddity that uh doesn't sit well i think with with the other uh, oddities per se in the film mm -hmm. yeah no it's just a little it's just a little strange and it's almost like it only makes sense if a you know it's a male filmmaker making the movie to male writers and so maybe that was just a product of they weren't thinking about the actual practicality of that or if you want to just pretend like no one really knew what exactly what he was doing and maybe he was like you know, even humanity trying to save itself destroys itself because it doesn't know what it's doing. But I don't buy that because they never yeah, saw that in the movie. Yeah, some kind of just... like fridge brilliance of... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, you know, oh, you see, he, he knew. Like, he knew yeah, that, we'd, exactly. that we'd fuck that decision up. Uh, yeah. He knew that we'd mess that decision up. <laughs> don't, uh, yeah, self-censoring. <laughs> self he knew that we'd mess that decision up. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, and I don't, I don't think that that's the case. You know, I think he, I think it was just an oversight. But again, not important parts of the movie. What's important is going through these different timelines, seeing these different things. You know, I, I think one transition between them was really interesting, or maybe it's not one, but the, the transition from, I suppose, what we would call the quote unquote present, uh, or the the rolling present of, uh, of the space expedition. I think the one thing that I found really interesting sliding between time perspectives uh, was uh, the moment when Cooper watches the reel of footage sent over the transmission reel. And then we cut from the transmission to the recording of that transmission. And then suddenly we're, we're that yeah, was cool. slammed back onto earth years later in the future. Yeah. yeah and, right. and also I want to ask if this register for you before, uh, getting to that that other of the two points that you wanted to address um but what did you how old do you think cooper was because i don't think it was ever mentioned and jessica chastain's uh older murph only states that she's now as old as he was when he left so that we get that kind of final heartbreaking reveal but but right. just a quick kind of silly question but how old how old is he is he supposed to be like forties or, or or I mean late thirties. I assumed or... he was in his forties. I couldn't really tell though because Matthew McConaughey is a bit older than that, and I think they imply that Jessica Chastain is like thirty something. And so uh, yeah, yeah, no, I have no idea. It's uh, it's a uh, kind of an interesting, weird time dilation thing. Maybe he's I don't know. 
I don't know. And, I, you know, it's that kind of thing that, like, it's a little detail. And so a lot of people have torn the movie apart on a lot of levels. And I just, I don't find that compelling as a, as criticism because I don't think it made sense for Inception because Inception spends the entire movie talking about how dreams work and then breaks every single rule that it makes about how dreams work. And so it, that it sets about that. So um, it, it begs someone to tear it apart and demanded intellectual observation interstellar was no one ever said it was like a mind you know bender or anything like that and and so when i saw it i was just interested to see how they handled it and and i was i was compelled absolutely i was as well it's i've read i forget who but someone has phrased this as christopher nolan's most straightforward movie and i think i think that's true at least for what I haven't seen every single. Well, one. it depends what you're talking about. Uh, if you're talking about, um, if you're talking about thematically, I would say yes. But in terms of imagination, you know, and things like that, I haven't seen every single one of his movies. I've seen most of them, and uh, this is the most imaginative and most interesting. So straightforward, perhaps. Just on in a, terms of like a, it's logical about a father-daughter level, relationship. Just yeah, to... yeah. I mean, it progresses from A to, but it's still complicated. It still has a bunch of timelines. I would say the Dark Knight Rises is the most straightforward. Okay. Then, yeah. That's a very clear arc, whereas The Dark Knight's a little bit more, like, you know, amorphous. Inception has levels and all this other nonsense, and, uh, and Memento is all out of order. Um, so maybe Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises, I would say that. But this is this has multiple timelines and stuff going on. Even just logically, it still has a bunch of... There's not a lot to figure... I guess in that, there's not a lot to figure out. There's not a puzzle. Yeah, really. I think that's uh-huh. uh, probably... What yeah, to meant. say... What they perhaps were trying to say, whoever this faceless anonymous <laughs> person is that I'm referring to, right? Um, that uh, it's thematically, it's a very, it's a very clear film, and also it's just it's the first Nolan film in a long time that we've seen that isn't trying to be a puzzle and isn't selling itself mm-hmm. as one, and it isn't built like one. I think no, I, I no, think it's really. Uh, I actually kind of laughed to myself kind of in awe when uh, the Tesseract, the sort of five-dimensional space, is revealed to be behind every single iteration of Murph's bookshelf. I thought, mm-hmm. like, once that image becomes clear, uh, you know, the scene, Matthew McConaughey, you know, he falls into it through the black hole, and then he's tumbling through this, at first, visually indecipherable space, and then he slams into something... And you notice these this pattern of lines of varying thickness and colors, and then you realize it's 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 a bookshelf. And mm. once that clicked, I kind of laughed at myself because I I saw Nolan reveal his hand. I mean, he was intentionally doing so. He was saying, you know, this like this is the reveal. This is what's going on. And I I. I had a big grin on my face during that. Yeah, I, I thought it was just so it's great, brilliant. I, I think <laughs> I it's, loved it's it, awesome. Yeah. It's that part that makes me think of like that childlike magic feeling that you get when yeah. you see something in, in a movie. And he knew he was dealing with things that don't exist, so he was like, "I can do whatever I want." So it's going to look like this weird, like thread fabricy weird place, and that's just the way it is. And then he did it, and I, you know, I dug it. Yeah, and that like, when he's trying to. Like send the message, and it's and I get these confused because they flip between binary and Morse a couple times in the film. But, they do. Um, well, he sends the he sends the binary. I think it, I think the first message, the gravity message that with the the dust, 
is for both I think of them. That, yeah, the gravity. For some reason, somehow he found. And I don't. I haven't checked this to see if it's a real thing, but he found a message that would both mean something to himself in the past and also to his daughter, in both Morse and binary. And, and so, and so that's so that's that. And then when he does the um, when he does the watch, he does uh, Morse because he knows she's. Morse is hardly... Yeah, well, Morse was for the binary. black hole data that he gets uh, from the the hilarious TARS who disappears. I was going to... That was my other point, is that I love... Sarcastic robots and space epics are the key to any good science fiction in space movie. It works in uh, in the original Star Wars movies. It works in, um, in Hitchhiker's Guide, at least in the books. And it worked in the movies, actually. Alan Rickman was fantastic yeah, yeah. in that movie. Uh, I didn't love the film, but he was amazing, and and I think that really works. And I think Tars and uh, Case, just excellent, excellent. Characters. Yeah, they're they're just funny. They ground they're everything. They're so amusing. They're really and good. They also they just they look like really nothing else that I've ever seen. I've never seen just like these walking blocks that turn into spirals that have arms that come out. Like they're very strange looking things but they're also they, very they simple in design I, at first they're just these square or rectangular yeah blocks. and i was thinking i was thinking how inefficient they look and i was like that's just silly and then they end up being kind of useful later and i was like oh i guess it still seems weird i don't think that's a really great design yeah there's <laughs> but, been um, some criticism that the about the design like or just speculation like what's on the bottom of their uh heads if you will or uh or um, treads, I suppose. Like, what what they're walking on? Like, wouldn't the metal corners of their sort of limbs, for lack of a better word, be scraping up everything they're walking on? Yeah, no, they would, and also just they can't do any fine motor movement. So, how useful could yeah. they be? But whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it it's something. Enough, it it's, well again, enough. it's something that comes up in a discussion, but it's also something that I don't, I couldn't care less about. Yeah, and they serve their function as like these, you know, funny characters that you know they undercut all these moments and and really add. You know, and I'm trying to remember. There's one moment that I I actually laughed, like quite. I there were plenty of chuckle-worthy moments in the film, but there was one moment that I think Tar says something very very funny uh, towards the end of the movie, and it's just it, these moments. I think they they really add a sense of levity to it. They add this you know robot perspective on humans in it, and uh, yeah, I just I thought they were great. Yeah, and and the that that custom that they bring in. Uh, to the film in universe of uh, referring to traits with percentages, I think that is is oh, that yeah. gets used yeah, yeah, really well, right in the cute. climax of when uh, Cooper detaches from the endurance, and as he's mm-hmm. uh, leaving uh, Amelia Brand, um, he says, "You know, honesty ninety percent," mm-hmm. and and I just ah like that was another moment that kind it's of good. yeah like it, it hit good. me and now. Now, I will say this. I thought that if there's one other criticism I have for the film, it's that it goes on a little long. Uh, not that the film is too long, but that the scenes towards the end were a little... Like, they didn't need to be there, really. Uh, um, like, which ones? It just, like, you know, there's the scene where he's fixing... Is it Tars at the end in his house? Um, when he's setting up his... He's recalibrating his, his percentages after they come out of the wormhole at the end of oh, the Oh, okay, when they're on that... Um borrowed inception visual space station yeah yeah exactly which i i thought that was cool yeah, too I, it, it made sense I thought that was uh i wrote down in my notes because you're not sure if it's earth you're not sure if it's where they are and he's like where am i yeah i just i wrote down in my notes <laughs> that uh that no one was borrowing from himself there but there i think uh 
the image. But I weirdly, I think it almost worked. Yeah, better. it did. <laughs> I think it worked a lot better because I thought that just the the buildings folding onto themselves in Inception was just kind of like this trailer gag. That it was a tr- it was a trailer thing, and it was also like the climax of that visual. Right, right. there was nothing else wasn't... there. Whereas in this, it was part of a bigger right. Picture. And after that happens. I don't know. They just click together nonchalantly and cars start going up the sides of these now 90-degree streets. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of silly. It just everything continues mm-hmm. as it is, like some, you know, model with magnet tracks. Uh, but it, but in this, there's the, the balls. Yeah, the, the, the ball flies too. up and, and breaks some house's window and maybe there's someone shouting from inside. Uh, and it's just... it. It makes it real. It's it's this little moment of world building that now we're in the future. And tying back to something that I, I had wanted to mention. And it's almost like an Escher. It's almost like an Escher painting or something, you know, this weird, you know, optical illusion type. Yeah, like it, to it. this yeah, impossible cool. kind of space. Because in mm-hmm. order to get that ball, they'd run up the curve and into the house and yeah, come back yeah. <laughs> down. Uh, but I think that that those couple scenes on that space station, the, on Cooper Station, uh, they there's a really great reveal where it pans to the recreated house and mm-hmm. you see those kind of uh, tour or the, like those museum style video screens sticking yeah, out of the ground the, and the footage from the, the beginning of the film is playing on them. Yeah. And now you know mm-hmm. that that aspect ratio switch in the beginning of the film was because we were focusing on those screens Right, and, right, right. And I, I like those moments, and I think that was all fine. It's just it goes on and on a little bit. Uh, like, I would have been fine with him waking up on that station and then maybe finding out that his daughter had died <laughs> and that being in the end of the movie. You know, just it just... Because for all intents and purposes, it's the same thing. He goes and sees her, and she's like, I'm dying, and he says, okay, and then... Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no point to that. There's no, like, point in a lot of those those scenes. They just... It's like a little. It's like you 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 hit your climax, and then once you're done with the climax, I don't really care about the epilogue. And they just yeah. they just he like like other movies I've seen this year, like uh, The Judge. It just pushes it, pushes it, pushes it past to where I like care what's going on yeah. anymore. But um, and the, so that was kind of uh, frustrating. And they had nine kids. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just like okay. Yeah, whatever. I get it. The uh, I I can understand that kind of uh, reaction against the. This sort of um, where where are they now kind of ending? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. It's just... But at the same time, at the same time, I I didn't feel it. I didn't. I felt that the entire movie just flew by, not in a rush sense. I, did, I never felt that anything was rushing by. Certainly, uh, with a three-hour runtime, it can't exactly rush by. Yeah, uh, right, right, right. But I th- I just thought everything everything felt well paced to me. I. I Oh, I I agree. It's just towards the end I started noticing that, like, okay, we've gotten the big Tesseract moment. You're not going to top that, so now's the time when you wind down the movie. And instead we're getting more and more information about, you know, he has the scene of him sitting on his own porch again. You're like, is that... Yeah, really? I think maybe... <laughs> Do we have I'll to? concede one thing, just to agree with you in the same respect. When some, uh, I don't know minor actor or just one line part uh comes up and it's this this high school kid that tells him yeah i wrote a paper about you in high school yeah and about your life on earth that's the moment where i just okay stop like (laughs) that that i would have i felt like okay that that's enough uh well i mean they would and they were just like really like he's it's a hundred years just in case you forgot 
It's 100 years. So people have been writing about it. People know yeah, who he is. Yeah, and just, I, you know. That. As soon as you see that hospital, because the problem is what they don't, this is Nolan's problem, is that because he's not a, I, and I know this is a weird thing to say because people think of him visually, and I don't know why, but he's not a visual director. And so when you, he's not interested in communicating things with visuals as much as he is other things. Uh, and often exposition. He's, and yeah, people he's more have of said a narrative director, you think? Yeah, well, it's just more of a, like, he'll put a bunch of exposition into dialogue. That's just what he's always okay. done. And he did it less in this movie, which is great, but then he could have let things like visuals speak for themselves. So when Cooper wakes up in the hospital room, you immediately know the future's fixed. The guy says, this is the Cooper space station near the wormhole. Okay, so now they have a space station there, which means Earth is doing great because there was no space station there, which means that the Tesseract thing worked. All of it's communicated within the space of like 30 seconds. And instead we spend another like 10 minutes of the film learning about how this kid did a paper on him and his daughter's really old like we know that we know there's no need to show us yeah that. i suppose you know like that was all communicated very quickly there's it was it was uh redundant yeah i'd, I'd have to I, i'd agree with that uh, but it, it wasn't like i didn't wasn't like upset i was just like eh, no you know, it didn't yeah okay. i didn't you can you can stop now it's fine I, i'm compelled yeah enough. it's you can the end meal the was good i don't need dessert <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it, I I'd agree with that. It didn't. I. It doesn't. It's not totally necessary. I didn't reject it when I saw it. I mean, I, I'm not just. It's something that's. It, it's needless. It's. It's not adding to the. Effect. Yeah, no, I'm not objecting to it yeah. at all. Like, I, I but feel it's, like but it's, it's something a... that isn't added to the effect. And hmm. I think I I would agree with that. That it's uh, that those final moments could be cinched up a bit. But I wouldn't want the movie to end with him. Like leaning back in his hospital bed, putting his hands behind his head, and you know, giving a yeah, sigh of relief, be a being too, like, "Oh, be... it's all right." And it could it could go on for even one more sh- you know shot, one more scene, but just there's a there's a limit on how much I you know as soon as you know it's Cooper Station that it's based on is you know, and that's a great moment where he's like, "Oh, you made a station," you know, it's like, "No, this is your it's your daughter." Yeah, you know, yeah, um, I like that. You know, like that was good, and and like so we've communicated ninety five percent of what is communicated in the rest of the movie. So, do, how much more do you need? And the answer is maybe one more shot of him doing something. You know, maybe going back to his house. Maybe that's how it ends. Maybe you know, there's a lot of ways you could do it. So, but, uh, so what do you think about that final uh, crescendo? And I say that uh, plot wise, what is the last? What's the very last shot? Uh, the very last shot uh, is, let's see, I think. It's a shot of, oh, it's a shot of Anne Hathaway on the other on the oh, other right. planet, and it's kind of panning. There's a, there's there are two shots that kind of at that end the film uh, specifically. Before I ask about a, a couple earlier ones, but there's a close one on her with some kind of I don't know, Dano Mong determined face, and mm-hmm. then there's a a shot of uh, there's like this pan over the surface of whatever planet she's on and you see a bunch of tents and the American flag waving mm-hmm. uh, majestically with a bald eagle. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, and then all of a sudden the music cuts and, it, and it's over. Um, but I think, uh, I'm curious, what do you think about the final, or just the final build-up? Not that final shot, uh, we can ask about that in a second, but a kind of endgame mission of Older Murph now saying, you know, Amelia's out there, like, waiting for you or something, setting up camp. And mm-hmm. and then we see Cooper walk through to uh, get his uh, Jedi starship. Oh, yeah, he, he, like, he grabs it. 
Yeah, he hops in his... Uh... Yeah, but see, like, that scene could have come right after the hospital. Like, there's there's just a lot of extra okay, stuff. Okay, like, so, you, but you like that moment? Like, you could see that? It was, it okay. was fine. It was fine. It was fine. I, uh, you know, I don't know what they're implying with Brand. You know, like, what, what is she going to possibly do on this planet? Uh, you know, with she's, like, setting up, but, like, doesn't she get that there's, like, a lot of things that are not going to... I don't like what's the like even let's say she has sixteen kids, okay so what then they're all gonna impregnate like there's you need to have more women there's no women oh right they can't <laughs> just people. start um and of course she for her it's like right after relativity means that like she's maybe just experiencing this now she just got to that planet and is setting up camp and meanwhile they're hundreds of years hundreds of years later and by the time he gets to her who knows when it'll be her time versus their time and what but uh. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a it was a cool idea. I did. It was the kind of like ending that doesn't bear much. Uh, uh, I don't want to know what happens after that. I'm just like that's fine. Just leave it there. Leave it on a cliffhanger. Like I don't because what happens next is probably not very interesting. They probably all die or something. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. To me, it wouldn't make much yeah, sense. Yeah, and then there are just sixteen stranded kids with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, so and and so like because until they're older, how are they going to have kids of their own and and it's all going to be very uh, the gene pool will be limited. And... Yeah, that that uh, yeah, then it, it yeah, gets so kind of weird. uncomfortable. It is well, okay. No, gene pool is not so limited because theoretically, if they're if they're all fertilized, oh embryos, right, they have they're they not going to have free embryo, and they kind of just needed a surrogate. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, okay. So I guess it could, I guess it could work, but they still have to all grow up. It'd be a, like the, a pseudo. She'd be raising them. It'd be for like a, while. a pseudo <laughs> micropopulation. Yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. Or uh, not a pseudo, but like a micropopulation. Right. It'd be a micro. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so well, you know, it's whatever. I, I just think the, um, I, I thought that was fine. It's just, I think you could have condensed uh, all of those final moments into a more of a black hole, less of a full galaxy. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, make it more of a singularity. Mm. Yeah. More of a singularity. Uh, so, so yeah, no, no, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, and it, and it just worked. I thought the you know, but it's really the the moment of the film that you you you're waiting for is the tesseract. So after that, it's like, yeah, um, that's kind of the we're, you know, we're go see Interstellar because <laughs> this this is the cool thing that happens, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you'll know. Like right, they yeah, they exactly. won't be like, oh, you know that that final shot where they where you see Amelia on the new planet, that was mm-hmm. it. Yeah, no one talks yeah. about that. I forgot it just now. I forgot what the final moment was because it wasn't all that compelling in comparison yeah um, i think that i mean that is the moment i mean sure it's the ending so maybe this isn't much to say but that that was the one time where the film felt abrupt to me uh because well it's just because they're starting like a whole new story and then they just well i mean not even that on a simpler level than that uh like that is that's true i completely agree but just when i was watching the movie uh you know however many thousands of watts of sound are, are blaring this final Hans right, Zimmer right. organ crescendo and all of a sudden it stops and you just get the black screen and then you know a, a peaceful uh, piano incarnation of that motif comes back mm-hmm. as the credits start to roll uh, and I, I still felt like wow you know that was something but the moment that it ends for a second I was like uh, it, it felt a little that was one place where I thought it wasn't too smooth is uh, just literally in that final cut right right like, right it, and like if he had ended it a little bit sooner the editing had been a little bit different yeah, 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 yeah I like if you. it was either um 
playing devil, devil's advocate, if it was just a tad longer, if there was one more shot, I don't know what mm. it would be. I, I, you know, so maybe that's undermining my own argument, but I don't know what I would put there. But there felt like there needed either with the scope of the piece that was playing to either be one more beat or one uh, one beat cut out so that the music would maybe run a little bit past the image and we'd get a second of black screen as the score finishes and then the credits would start. Right, like exactly. Just, yeah, a little bit of an editing uh, fix there. Yeah, yeah, just a small thing. But, I, you know, it, I think I thought it was all right. Um, it, what's funny is that if you look at the... Uh, the logo for Interstellar it has that like uh, stream, that white stream or black. Yeah, on the uh, on the posters on the image you're looking at, and it sort of ends abruptly. <laughs> it's like taking off and then it just gets cut off. So yeah, it's kind of a visual representation. Of Absolutely, that's that's. I think that's exactly what the ending feels like. Is it's and with the music, with that image, it feels like we're taking flight again, and then boom. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> but I think that's the point. Yeah. You know, it's and and the one last thing I want to say about this movie because it's important is that. Uh, there's love, which I would say is a is a an emotional theme in this. There's the uh, the 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 greater theme of exploration. But I think the 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 other thing that I really like about this is, and I could just see you know Neil deGrasse Tyson. I, I haven't read his. He, he's written about it, the movie a few times. It's fun, now, but um, <laughs> but I could just see him really loving uh, science aside, <laughs> loving the idea that the film is all about you know. In Nolan's future, you know, it, it's space exploration that needs funding, that needs volunteers, that needs people to invest in, and that that's what saves humanity. Because Neil deGrasse Tyson has been trying to get people to buy into that idea for a very long time, and, and just scientists in general. They're like, if you're not funding science, we can't move anything forward, get new technologies, find more resources, or keep the human race alive. It's not going to work if we don't fund it. And so in this movie, is all about you know, NASA proving its worth basically to the rest of the world because they don't want to fund them anymore because they're like, well, shouldn't we be funding, you know, crops and all the rest of it? But, you know, this movie is so... In other words, this movie is very pro-space exploration, which I think is great because I think that's, a, you know, the future of science, the future of humanity is is, is branching out. And so I I like that as a theme. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it really interesting because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the, the near future that we're in is a post government society like everything like the state is kind of dissolved schools only send like a handful of brilliant people no i think it's highly regulated it's not might not be like america but it's certainly either it's an earth government or something like that. okay you know that was my impression yeah. is that there is because they're they're getting funding from someone because they say uh, i think um amelia brand says something like that when she's when he's like well what's with the uh the marine droid thing a robot and and she's like well that's all they could spare or something like that referring to i assume the government oh okay then yeah then never mind that i think uh maybe the point that i would rather make i think it's interesting that nasa is the only organization that we see in full mm-hmm. uh just I, I don't know i mean e- even that i think is a not too much of a relevant point to make but i think it's interesting with the pro space travel no, it is. It is. I mean, we don't you know, get a little bit of education or whatever, and you know. But there's, it's like it's almost like a talking piece for any um, uh, or a sounding point for any like uh, you know modern scientist or, or people who are interested in space. Uh, you know, 
the things they hate, people who deny the space, the moon landing. What do they have in the movie? People who deny the moon landing. And he, you know, gives them what for. And then uh, the rest of the movie is about how great space travel is and how it's like has ramifications, but ultimately saves humanity. Uh, maybe not because we're going to discover a tesseract in a wormhole, but <laughs> certainly it'll have, you know, just there are like innumerable things that have already been discovered just because people are doing experiments on space stations in zero G in, you know, seeing what it's like. And so I think that's the, um, that's, you know, that's, that's what the film is about. And I think the, it's it just, it's, it's what someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson or these, these, you know, Bill Nye, people who are really invested in NASA and that whole, um, arena of, uh, academic thought, uh, are, you know, are so, invested in they really want people to be interested in space travel there was the space race and it, it propelled a whole bunch of technologies for it and now everyone's like eh we went to the moon whatever but uh this movie's like no we can go farther and i think that's a great it's a great message as a scientist i'm i'm for that so absolutely and i think that i think that is the tagline on at least one of the posters is go further yeah go further exactly you know and they there's that line which you know the the film does as a, as we mentioned does does veer into over dramatic or or kind of corny lines but you know that man wasn't was born on earth but wasn't meant to die there i think that's another tagline yeah uh for a film or wasn't meant to die i like there. that i like that something one. like that yeah no, it's a it's a good one it's a good one. It, it comes weird across weird in the movie but i think it works as a tagline at the very least and it's it, but it sums up i think a good chunk of the film uh but the film isn't but nothing about the the taglines or anything were like you know careful what happens when you use up the earth. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't, it's a very minor environmental thing and it's not even necessarily environmental. It's simply, it's even just an economic, to me, it read as economic. We can't rely entirely on an agricultural system that could be taken down by a simple drought. (laughs) It's not sustainable. (laughs) We need to have another plan. Uh, and that's basically what it's saying. You can go on and say, well, it's also about war and all this other stuff that apparently ruined the earth, but really it's simple, you know, agricultural society doesn't work if, all you have to rely on is like, you know, it's been in the news plenty of times, entire crops going out in the Midwest. And then that's been affecting people in terms of food supply. And, you know, and so like, if that's already happening now, it's not such a stretch and it's not really necessarily even an environmental streak. It's just very simply a commentary on modern, uh, economic systems. Agribusiness, agribusiness. That's it. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but anyway, so, uh, so how do you, so I, I'm guessing that we're both going to give this a win. Absolutely, yeah. This is a win for me. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> so I give it at like a 90, you give it a 93. We're both, in other words, we both really enjoyed it. Um, do you feel, how do you feel about it, a 91? Uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Maybe, yeah, 91, okay 91's that? fine. Okay, cool. All right, let's go with that. <laughs> it's closer to my <laughs> Um All, all right, right cool. well, uh, thank you for joining me for this uh, discussion, this dueling review of Interstellar. Uh, and to those of you out there, you've been listening to Movie Fail Podcasts. I'm Nathan Frontiero. And I'm Soren Howe. And thanks for joining us.